I'm going to talk about a very important word that's in the New Testament. It's not found very often. Only 27 times is it found in the New Testament. I started to throw the sound room guys a curve a while ago to make a slide on something, but I backed off of it. So. Um, this word is found three times in Ephesians chapter 3. And that's where we're going. All in all, it's found six times. The most in all of the New Testament, the most of all the books, six times. Romans, five times. So out of 27 times, 11 of them, of them are in two books. Let me just give you a rundown on before I give you the word because we're going to read from uh, chapter 3 here in just a moment. It's found one time in Matthew, only once in Mark, and only once in Luke. Interesting thing, though, it's the same instance. It's the same conversation this word is used. So you could say it's just really used one time in the Gospels. The Gospel of John does not have it. Now, John writing Revelation uses it four times. But almost entirely, it is either an angel or the Lord revealing to him the answer or the explanation. The word I'm talking about is the word mystery. And you think about <clears throat> what you comes to what comes to your mind when you say mystery. Okay. Um, the English definition of mystery is something like this. Something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. <clears throat> In other words, the mysteries of outer space. Synonyms include puzzle, enigma, conundrum, riddle, secret, problem, unsolved problem. Kind of like um, his death remains a mystery. Now, stop right there. What does that word mean in that essence? <clears throat> you know, Wednesday night we have partic audience participation. So, His death remains a mystery. Unknown to who? Unknown to the people trying to figure it out. But is it unknown? No. The literal thing that happened there is knowable. It's just the people don't have the information to discover it. And so in, in that word, in that essence, it kind of fits mysterion, which is the Greek word that's translated mystery. Um, it means something difficult to know are difficult to understand without outside revelation. And in every, in every instance, let me just give you the instance. You know, Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed. And after that parable, the disciples say, why are you using parables? You remember that? And what, did his, what was his answer? 
It is unto you that the mysteries of the kingdom is revealed, but to others it is not. Meaning this, the ones who have a heart and a mind to grasp what the Holy Spirit is saying, they get it. It wasn't something unknown. It was something that could only be known through the outside empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of God. So think about that. In, every, in all the four instances that is used in the revelation of Jesus Christ, you know, he says, I think in chapter 1 he says, I want to show you the mystery of the seven stars. It was a mystery maybe to John before Jesus explains to him what those seven stars represented. Are you following me? So while it is maybe difficult for us to understand, it's not impossible for us to understand because we have a great teacher in the Holy Spirit. By the very, by the very fact that you hold this book in your hand and you can read this book is a testament that you are knowing things that can only be known through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is revealing to you things. Oh, you can read the words, but you don't get it until he opens your mind and the Holy Spirit. And, and is that just done indiscriminately? You know, I, I just believe God knows a searching heart and an inquiring mind And those who are truly seeking a revelation of God. And the Holy Spirit looks for them. And boom, he opens their mind to this. Now, track this with me a little bit because we're going to read. This is Paul. I, I should have went ahead and told you that there's three times in the gospel, four times in Revelation. That's seven the other 20 times are in Pauline writing. Saul of Tarsus. Brilliant man, well-educated, right? Very educated, very stupid. Not by me saying that. He said it about himself. He said, I was a blasphemer, but he qualified it why he was a blasphemer. What was his qualifying? But I, I did it ignorant. He said, I didn't get it. I didn't get Jesus. I didn't get who he really was. I was against him. In my mind, he was breaking down my faith, not the giver of my faith. Until what? Until he had a revelation of him on the road to Damascus. And then he writes about the mystery more than anybody else in the New Testament. Saul of Tarsus become Paul the Apostle. And this is one of the beautiful chapters in this book. A great book. So read it with me. <clears throat> for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me For you, that is, here's the first, this is not the first, it's mentioned in chapter 1, but this is the first mention of mystery in chapter 3. 
that is the mystery made known to me, this is verse 3, the mystery made known to me by revelation. He said, I know the mystery. I know the mystery because of revelation. By revelation, as I have already written briefly, in reading this, listen, listen to what he's promising the people reading this, and that includes you right now. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into, here's the second time, into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men, not made known to men in ages past. Let me, let me stop before we get too far into, into verse 5. Let me stop there at verse 6. He says, you by the grace of God can understand what the mystery of Christ. He's speaking of this, referring to this. He says, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, that people can understand this mystery. Verse 5, which in other generations, and I'm switching back and forth from NIV to NAS, okay? Because in verse 6, the NIV really doesn't translate it very well. It uses the word mystery again. It's implied, and you'll see it's implied. But look in verse 5. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. This is a mystery unknown, an unknown reality for ages past until right then. That's, that's quite a statement, isn't it? That it was unknown to prophets, it was unknown, it was unknown to Moses, it was unknown to prophets, it was, it was unknown until this time. This was something that could have been known, but it was not known because God had not revealed it yet. But he says he's revealing it to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Verse 6. To be specific, now in NIV, and maybe others, says this mystery. The word is not literally there. It's implied. But he says, to be specific, what is the mystery? He's about to tell you and tell them what the mystery is. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister... According to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Now, this is it. This is the mystery. Gentiles, here's, here's the mystery. Gentiles are included. And this was Ephesus. This was modern-day Turkey. This was, there was Jews and pagans and Gentiles. And, and he's writing to them and says, this is the mystery that was hidden. Why do you think it was hidden? I mean, this is a subjective thing. But why do you think it was hidden until right then? Why would something like that be hidden? That Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the grace of God, the promise of God. Why do you think it was hidden? Gentiles, wasn't, they weren't the focus, were they? It was Israel. 
We're going to touch on that in just a little bit. But what a statement. And he, goes, and he says, the apostolic calling that is at the very core of what I'm doing is to reveal the mystery of God, not, no longer to be unknown, but to be known by people. This is not for a select few people. It's for all of us in this room to have that awareness, to have that reality. And really and truly, that's how it's supposed to operate. That the gospel of Christ is for everybody. It's for all people. Verse 8. To me, and he gets a little personal here, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And that very word gives us the idea that what is in Jesus is unknowable to people without the gospel. It's unsearchable, I think, is one translation. Maybe the NIV says unsearchable. It's, it's unfathomable. People don't understand. You know, I think that's, that's why we need to pray more for the anointing of the Holy Spirit on us. And that, that witnessing in and of itself needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit because it's just not words that opens people's minds. It's the power and presence of God that convicts them. How many times did you sit in a church and listen to the gospel and listen to preaching and attend the revivals and you didn't get it until one day you got it? One day it became personal. One day it, it hit you. It's talking about me. In my, my life, you know, I was about 10 when I came under conviction. But my idea about going to church was being respectful, not talking, not cutting up, or I'd get in trouble. And, and when, the, when the service finally, finally finished, me and my buddies go outside and chase and throw rocks at each other and things like that in the churchyard. That was my idea. I knew it was, we learned about Jesus and we knew Bible verses. But that, that day and that revival, that night, all of a sudden, boom, it hit me that now I'm, I'm on the clock. I'm, I'm, I'm up now. <laughs> Holy Spirit's like, that's about you, buddy. And what would make a 10-year-old kid to get up and go down to an altar? Not a very large church in Childersburg, but... I felt like I was going to explode if I didn't. What is that? That's that mystery being made known. That's that revelation. And I really think that we need to say, God, help me to when I witness that the accompanying presence of the Holy Spirit penetrates that person's life to wake them up. It might not be right then. You might be the one sowing the seed or you might be coming along and watering the seed that someone else sown. But at some point, I don't know about you, at some point, I want to be a harvester. I want to, I want to, I want to be right there when they, they get it. It's kind of like my mom would say when people got, had that experience, she got like saved all over again. She, she just felt like it was, she was experiencing the same wonder. Somebody got baptized in the Holy Spirit. She said, I'm just, I'm just getting the splash from them. I feel like the Holy Spirit's just splashing on me when I'm near them and they're getting it. And, and, I, and I really think we need to 
realize that we have to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit present when we're witnessing. And that's where prayer comes in. To me, the very least, the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light. And just that phrase lets us know that there has to be an enlightening moment, a revelatory moment, a revelation to bring to light what is the administration. And here's the third and last time the word is mentioned specifically in this chapter is the administration of this mystery, the handling of this mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Think about that. Something gets really interesting in this next verse. And I'm going to ask you a question about it in just a moment. He said, it was hidden in God who created all things. This mystery was, get that in your mind, it was stored away in the mind and heart of God through all this time period. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now, here and now, be made known through the... Now, what did he say earlier that the mystery came through? Revelation to who? The apostles and prophets. He said the apostles and prophets, the core of their ministry was to preach the gospel so that this revelation, this mystery of God's atoning grace being made available to everybody, not just to the Jews, that it's for whosoever will. And he says that was hidden away in God all those years, but is now being made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. What is that about? Anybody want to take a stab at it? That the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Here's what I think. I think that the angels didn't even know this. The ones entrusted to carry out the instructions of God really didn't know this and that the church would be this light them. Like, oh, that's what that was about. Because <laughs> they're not omniscient. They don't, they don't know all things. They're not like God. They were created for the purpose of God and messengers of God to carry out the instructions of God. It doesn't mean that they knew everything. They knew what was revealed to them. And according to this, that the church would, when the church unfolded in the eyes of the heavenly beings, it was, I think it was like, wow, that's, that's what this was all about all along. All these different people coming to know the Son of God that we've known from our very existence. And it wasn't revealed to us until now to bring to light. There it is in verse 10. So that that manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the authorities in heavenly places. 
And, and it's kind of like when we go back to it, it's about Gentiles coming in. I saw a poll the other day I thought was very interesting. And uh, the poll had this text in front of it. And I'll tell you what the options were. Um, how about another poll? Is how it read. We recognize that saved Jews and Gentiles are part of, quote, the church, like is mentioned there in verse 10. And that according to the New Testament, Jews need Jesus just like everyone else. But does God see the church as spiritual Israel, quote, quote spiritual Israel, end of quote, today, yes or no? And here were the options, yes, no, and not so simple. I was, I was really surprised at the poll. The, the author of this poll was Dr. Michael Brown. And I don't know what his thinking was when he saw the results, but I looked at it and I'm like, wow, are we confused or what? At the people who are responding. Because 39% said yes. 37% said no. How about that? <laughs> Almost the same. This is what does it matter? Well, it matters a lot. It matters a lot, especially in the day and time we live in when a lot of hoopla is going on about the nation of Israel. Is God in that at all? And I'm, I'm of the belief that God is all in to the establishment of that nation. Because, he, yeah, he, he's got more to fulfill in the Abrahamic covenant that was never fulfilled. And I don't think the church is the Haaretz, the land, the land when the Jews, in fact, one of the major newspapers in Jerusalem is called the Haaretz. It's, it's the land. If you look at the Abrahamic covenant, it, everything about that covenant was about that piece of property. There was nothing promised to Abraham outside the boundaries of that property. It was the hot air. It's, it, it's, it's the, the land. The people treasure that land because God planted them there. And I'm, I'm looking at this. 39 people think the church is spiritual Israel. I thought, how in the world did we get that confused? Because the church, the church is totally different. The church, the, church is, the church is not another Israel. The church is beyond that. The church is the inclusion of everybody from nations, tongues, peoples from all over the world coming into the same entity, the body of Christ. He just didn't die for Jews. He died for everybody. And this is what propels the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is when we pray for the, for the nations in the 1040 window and out in China and in Japan and where, where ancestral worship and the, the entrenchment of religions like Jainism and uh, Buddhism and, and, the, and it's so connected to family history and it's kind of like you are disgracing the family if you step away from that and accept this thing about Jesus and yet they accept it. 
in the midst of all of the, the ties that they have to ancestral worship and the connection to their family and the, the obligatory pressure on them to stay true to the family faith. And, and Hinduism is the same way. It's just like you've got to stay true to the family faith. This is the family faith. And yet there's people in India by the hundreds and thousands that are coming to Jesus who's been indoctrinated with Hinduism and multiple gods and gods for everything, gods for everything you can think of. They're coming to know that one true God through the person of Jesus Christ. Not a variation of it, but that message penetrates the heart. How does that happen? It's because God wants to make known the mystery that it's not about Indian or Nepali or Syrian or Turkish or Egyptian, or British, American. It's it's not about that. It's about one body of believers. And this is what he's getting at, that Gentiles are included. Now, verse, verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, that Jesus came with this one purpose, and that is to die for all. That's his one purpose. In whom we have boldness. This is verse 12. I'm going to stop at verse 13 just for a moment. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you. The interesting thing that he asks, he has a personal request that he's asking them here. He says, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulation. Not to lose heart at what I'm going through on your behalf, for they are for your glory. What do you think that meant? Why did Paul mention this to the church at Ephesus, his tribulation, his, his difficulties? Don't, don't get discouraged at what I'm going through because it's, I'm going through it on your behalf, but it's really for your glory. Two places that Paul prays for these people he's writing to. Chapter 1 is the first place. Chapter 3 is the second place, and he's about to pray for them. And then that, and here's what I think. Here's, here's, I think, it shows the importance. When we're reading, we need, to, we need sometimes just to continue. Just keep on reading because a lot of these things are connected. And he's getting them ready for what he's about to pray for. When he's telling them, don't you get discouraged over what I'm going through is really ultimately for your glory. You're going to benefit by what I'm going through. Because in verse 14, he says, And for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. He's talking about the whole family of God. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. Here is again this thing about knowing the, the, the capacity to grasp. I, I, let's not ever take for granted or underestimate the wonder of how God helps us to understand things. How God gives us insight. I think we do a disservice to this book and to the promise of God if we look at it and say, well, I just don't get that. 
Sure you do. Sure you get it. It's right there in front of you. It's, he didn't make this complicated. In fact, according to what we're reading, he wants you to know this more than you want to know it. And I think it's the clutter of our minds and the self-imposed confession of, I, I, don't, I just don't understand things, when we need to stop saying that. And we need to say, Lord, you want me to get this. Because here's, I think, the, the wonder of it all. You'll be on a continuous journey of having those aha moments. Oh, wow, <laughs> that's pretty good. And it's not, it doesn't mean we have to have a high IQ. All we have to do is have a searching heart and a belief that God wants me to understand things. He wants me to understand why, so that I can be more Remember what he prayed for about confidence and boldness. And uh, I just think we need a new baptism of the importance of sharing the gospel with people and witnessing to people. And as much as I want you to invite people to church, that is not witnessing. It's a good thing to do. But at some point, steer the conversation to where they're at. What is it that you need prayer for? Who knows that the Holy Spirit has targeted people? We have no idea when we say something or do something to how far that's going. And Paul is praying for this to happen to them. He's, he's almost setting them up for this prayer for them to be... Anybody here need to be more confident <laughs> in doing something for God? I do. Because I think I think it's kind of like, well, I don't want to get in over my head with someone. But I, I, I know that God gives me confidence to talk to a Muslim, confidence to talk to an atheist. But I did sit down with a biology professor, at, a retired biology professor at the University of Alabama, and I was a little bit intimidated. But I was able to share a little bit with him about some things, but I was a little guarded. I didn't want to get in over my head, and I, I walked away from that. I said I should have been a little bit more confident to just say, hey, let me just share the gospel with you. But all of us need that, and this is what he's praying. He said that, that you'll be rooted and so secure in what you know and what you have that you'll be released to be that echo, that reflection, that light so may you be able to comprehend with all the saints, with all the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far... This, this is a great way to close this chapter out. When he begins talking about a mystery that, that is knowable, but it's knowable through the revelation of God, he says... But let's think about what God is able to do in your life. What is God able to do in your life? <laughs> to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond that what you or I can ask or think. According to the power that works, already works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generation forever and ever. Really and truly, I don't think we can pray adequately for unreached people groups, nations in the 1040 window, the lost right around us, 
unless we really have a current, fresh awareness of the mystery that we enjoy by being saved. <laughs> like Brother Lambert, Body Lambert said one time, said, uh, well, if I ever get it over getting, being saved, I just hope I have a relapse and I'm twice worse <laughs> about being crazy about being saved. And I think that's a, that's a good thing. Lord, don't let me get used to being saved. Yeah, because I think the whole focus when you go through the old covenant, it was in that piece of property. And and I think if you say we're spiritual Israel, what is that? I think that that is confusing because he doesn't refer to us as spiritual Israel. He never refers to the church as spiritual Israel. In fact, if when you go to Romans chapter 11, Paul makes it clear that God is not finished with Israel. And he's even praying for all Israel to be saved. But he also says that, that he is able to graft them back in to his purpose. And there's only one way that's going to happen is it got to be a literal Israel where 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes and he names those tribes off. Dan is left out, but Joseph and Ephraim, and, and there's probably a reason why Dan is left out because of, of where they settled and what they did. But how can we spiritualize that? There's just too many things, and, and the church is not mentioned after uh, chapter 3 when he gives those seven notices to those seven churches. From then on, it's about Israel. It, the language is about Israel. That the Antichrist is not going to be after us. He's going to be after Israel. You know, and he's going to dominate the world scene. The, his threat, he's not a threat to the church. He is a threat to Israel because he's going to do the abomination of desolation set up in the temple of worship to himself. So I just think there's too many things when, when I saw that, I thought, oh, my, what, how could that many people think the church is spiritual Israel? The church is the church. It's, it's, not, it's not Israel. The church has Jews and Gentiles, bond or free, male or female. There, there's no ethnic distinction in the church. It's from all peoples and nations and tribes and and that's what the church is today. It's just one body of believers worldwide without the distinction of our ethnicity. And I really think it was hidden. Think about, think about the Old Testament prophets that prophesy about Messiah. What about Daniel's prophecy about Messiah be cut off, but then he would come back? Did Daniel see the church? According to this, he didn't. He couldn't because it was hidden. So all those prophecies, like Joel's prophecy of chapter 2 about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but there's the latter part of that hasn't happened where the moon's turned to blood and all of that. So he, 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 see, he, sees, he sees Jesus and he sees Israel's future 
beyond the church, but they, they didn't see this in between because it was a mystery. Nobody knew it. You know, so I, I, I really think that God just surprised people. <laughs> Surprise. And he had, you know, really and truly, when did Peter get the idea? When did he understand the mystery? When, when that cloth dropped down. It, he, he didn't think dirty, nasty Gentiles, <laughs> what was going on, that they were, that it was for them. He just didn't think it was for them. And God had to show him in that vision about these unclean animals let down in this vision, you know, kill and eat. Well, I've never ate stuff like that. But he got it. He got it, but he, it had to be revealed to him because he, he didn't get it. it. God had to show him. But out of all the people, the most, one of the most strict disciplinarians of Judaism, Saul of Tarsus, what kind of miracle is it for that guy to look at Gentiles and say, hey, you're counted in, and God's sending me to preach to the Gentiles of the world. And this guy was uh, an encyclopedia of Jewish custom. And yet he laid all that aside. You know, who, who, do, who would do that? Someone who got the revelation. 